You're listening to the sermon podcast of Galveston Bible Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit galvestonbible.org. But mostly, from wherever you're listening, we hope that the Lord ministers to you through this week's message. Jason is gone this week performing a wedding out of town for one of our couples. So we're going to do a slight detour from our Ephesians series that we started. But we're not going to get too far away from it because we're going to talk about today the blessing of being dead to sin and alive to God from Romans chapter 6. This is one of those spiritual blessings that God has blessed us with in the heavenly places. So we're going to look at that today. And if you're here, or if you're hearing me and you're not here, virtually, um, and you're a Christian in the biblical sense of the word, then you struggle with sin. You personally struggle with sin. And being a Christian in the biblical sense means that God has shown you that you were under his condemnation because you had not and could not live up to his perfect standard and that Jesus, the Son of God, was born into this world, lived a passage in Romans chapter 6 could be a great help to us. In our study of the book of Ephesians, we've learned that God has blessed us, blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. And we're just beginning in that series to see what that might mean for us. Today, as I said, we're taking a detour from that series to look into one of those spiritual blessings in more detail. The blessing of being dead to sin and alive to God. As Christians, of course, all of our sins have been forgiven by God. Past, present, and future. There is no penalty for us for our sins because Jesus paid all the penalty. However, that doesn't mean all my problems and all your problems with sin went away when we believed in Jesus and became Christians. I became a new creature, but my old man, my old person, is still with me. And until the time when I don't have this body anymore and I go to be with Jesus, I'm going to be tempted to sin, and I'm going to sin. But what we'll learn today will be very important for that. So this predicament that we find ourselves in is shared by the Apostle Paul in Romans 7, where he grieves in verses 18 and 19. For I know that is in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing, for to will is present with me. But how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. And I know that you and I often find ourselves in that situation. Sadly, you know, within Galveston Bible Church, as well as without toward others, we often try to paper this over 
and we try to fake it and act like we think a good Christian should act, um, that's not good because we still know inside that we're failing to live out our new life in Christ as we should be and our sinful choices and actions really contradict what we believe about who God is and what he calls us to be. And this is the very definition of a hypocrite, someone who acts like something they're not. But praise God, one of the spiritual blessings he has given us provides for us to be free from the tyranny of sin. And we'll be looking at that today, the blessing of being dead to sin, but alive to God from Romans chapter 6. So while we're turning to Romans chapter 6, Paul has spent the first five chapters in the book of Roman, Romans establishing the fact that we're all sinners. We all deserve condemnation from God, but that God has provided through the Lord Jesus by faith salvation for us. And that we can be saved from God only by placing our faith in the free gift of God, the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf. So here in chapter 6, he turns to the practical outworking of that truth and begins to explain more of what happened to us when we were born again and what we can and should do as a result of what happened to us when we were born again. So before we read Romans 6, let's pray. Let's pray along with Paul, the prayer that he prayed for the Ephesian church in Ephesians chapter 1. Lord, Father, we do beg you that you, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto us that spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of our understanding being enlightened that we may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. So let's look at Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. 
Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness? But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh, for as ye have yielded your members, servants to uncleanness and to iniquity, unto iniquity, even so now yield ye your members, servants to righteousness, unto holiness. For when ye were servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness, and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the thesis of this section of scripture is stated in verse 1 and 2. Where it says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? And Paul actually repeats this same thing basically two more times in this section. When he says, God forbid, that's translated there, God forbid, it's actually just an emphatic no. It's no way. ESV says, by no means. It's absolutely not. So Paul asks the question, should we continue in sin so that grace can abound? Absolutely not. No way should we do that. But the idea is that, and this is even taught today by some, that because we're saved by grace, it doesn't matter what we do. If we sin, God forgives us. He, gives, he gets glory from forgiving us. So there's no problem with us sinning. Because we've been forgiven, there's no penalty, and God gets glory from it. But Paul doesn't accept that argument. He says, no way. We are not to continue in sin once we receive the new birth. And he goes on to explain how this is possible. And Paul makes an explanation, and it takes the form of kind of a logical progression through this section. And that progression is highlighted in verses 6, 11, and 13 by the words, know, reckon, and yield. 
Know, reckon, and yield. And we're going to use that outline. It's not original with me, but it's a good one. So we're going to use that outline uh, from Paul here to explain how he says that we can go about not continuing in sin. So first I'd like to think about, and I always like to think about this, why is this passage in the Bible? I mean, God only puts in the Bible what we need. So why is this passage in the Bible? Well, first of all, I think it does explain what God has done for us. One of those spiritual blessings in heavenly places that we saw in Ephesians. And that's the knowing part, okay? We, we can know because it explains. It also explains what we're to do about this information. And that's the reckon part that we'll get to. And it's also a call to action where we're to yield to God and not yield to sin. So those are the obvious things that this passage is trying to get across to us, but still there's more things that I need to ask about why this is in the Bible. Because if being born again was the be-all and end-all of our life as Christians, this passage would not need to be in the Bible. It's talking to people who are already saved. We're already saved. If that was the goal of our Christian life was to be saved and go to heaven, this passage would not need to be in here. It's superfluous. Obviously, that is not God's goal. end for us is just to be saved. Also, it wouldn't be necessary to say any of this if our growth that God expects us to have was automatic. In other words, if we would automatically grow in Christ no matter what happens, why would he say this? It's in here because there are things that we have to know and things that we have to do in order to grow in Christ. And God has provided that in scripture for that reason. Thankfully, we know from Philippians 2.13 that it's God that works in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So ultimately it's not up to us to accomplish this growth, but it is up to us as we'll see to yield to God and not to sin. So let's read verses six through 10 again of Romans six. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. So this is about something we have to know but it's not that clear when you first read over it, right? I mean, it wasn't to me, maybe it is to you, but it's not clear exactly what he wants us to know here. The word know itself is not book learning, it's experiential knowledge. It's knowledge that we have gained by perception or experience or feeling. It's not just something that we have read. 
Now, when he talks about the old man or the old self, he's talking about the person that we are, were, in Adam before we were saved. That person could not do anything to please God. Everything that we did before we were saved, no matter how good it might seem to us, was a sin. The, the book of Proverbs says even the plowing of the wicked is sin. In other words, their hard, good work, it's sin to God before you're saved, before God has saved you and put your sin on Jesus. There's nothing that our old man can do to satisfy the righteousness of God. And when it says that our old man, no, it says, yeah, that our old man is crucified with him, what does that mean? I mean, my physical body wasn't crucified with him, but in the same way that God has put our sins on Jesus, he has put Jesus' righteousness on us, he has also put us in Christ for his crucifixion, his burial, and his resurrection. Now, why would he do that? We'll talk about that. It says that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Destroyed there doesn't mean necessarily annihilated. It means rendered inoperative. So I've got my wife's cell phone here. She loaned it to me a couple years ago. It hasn't worked since. Um, so we had a baptism service. When we baptize people here uh, at Galveston Bible Church, we go down to the beach, we baptize them in the Gulf of Mexico. And by the way, I think we're going to do that again in a week or two. So if you've been saved, you haven't been baptized, talk to Tim or Jason about it. But anyway, so I was filming, my batteries were kind of low, I took this phone from my wife as a backup, put it in my pocket, waded out into the ocean, you know what I'm going to say next, right? Waves got a little deep, phone was underwater. So now, the phone no longer works. It doesn't work. And that's what destroyed means here. It's from a word talking about working. This phone does not work. Now, I still have the phone. You can still see it. It still looks like a phone. I can't call anybody. They can't call me. Uh, I can't get email. Uh, it won't play cat videos. So it's pretty much useless because it's broke. And that's what this word destroyed means here. It means to render inoperative. Our old nature doesn't cease to exist when we become Christians. But it no longer has the power to control us and rule over us. It had the absolute power to control us before we were saved. But because God has put us in Christ, because Christ died and rose again, the power of sin is broken. Because what is the power of sin? The power of sin is death. The penalty for sin is death. Jesus took our sin on him and he died. That was all sin could do. That was its last card, its last shot. That was it. 
Jesus took our sin and he died. And when he rose again, sin had no power over him. And because we're in him, it has no power over us. We're no longer sinners in God's book. From his perspective, we're as sinless as Jesus. Because we were placed in Christ. And that is an unbelievable spiritual blessing that we have in the heavenly places. But, as we know, we're still living in our Adam bodies that we had before we were saved. We're still living in a body that is prone to sin, to selfishness, to pride. And we will have those bodies until we go to be with Jesus. So what does Paul tell us to do in order to quit sinning? We know, we have to know, that God has placed us in Christ and broken the power of sin. If we don't know that, we're going to assume that everything is going to continue as it was for the sin part. Okay? Before we were saved, we sinned. We couldn't help but sin. And if we don't know what God has done for us, we're going to assume that that's the way it is now. It's not. Because we know what God has done for us. The spiritual blessing. So what does Paul tell us to do in order to quit sinning? Two things. First is in verse 11, where he says, Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So what does this mean? ESV says consider, I think, instead of reckon. But what does that mean? And why are we told to do that? So Paul really likes this word. He's used it 18 times in this letter to the Romans up until now. And just 14 times in chapter 4 alone where he's talking about Abraham, the promise to Abraham, Abraham's faith, our righteousness through faith. It's translated count, reward, reckon, impute. ESV translates it count, I think, throughout Romans 4. So the word means something to count on, to calculate, a logical conclusion based on the facts. So if I say to you, we're talking, and I said, I figured you were going to say that. What does that mean? That means I took all the information that I had in my brain, and I made a logical calcula calculation as to what you were going to say. I took my knowledge and I applied it and this is what I think you were going to say. I figured that. That's kind of what this word means. Reckon. It's actually kind of a bookkeeping term. So if we're taking inventory and we have so many widgets on the shelf and we look in the books and the books say we have two more widgets than what we actually have on the shelf, what do we have to do? We have to reconcile that. So we, we're going to change what it says in the books to what we actually have on the shelf. Because that's what's true, that's what's real, doesn't matter what we think we might have had on the shelf. We have to go by what is actually true. And that's what Paul is telling us here. You need to go by what God has told you is actually true. You're in Christ if you're a Christian. And the power of sin over your life is broken. You're not required to yield to sin anymore. 
But, you know, exactly like our salvation, this reckoning, this accepting of the truth is through faith, by God's grace. That's the only way that we can do it. We have to trust that God, God has to reveal to us what he's done. God has to reveal to you what he's done for you in order to save you, or you can't be saved. No one can be saved unless God shows you that you're a sinner and that he has paid the penalty for your sin. He has died on your behalf. God has to reveal that to you. And he has to reveal this to us. And this is why Paul's praying in, in, in the letter to the Ephesians for the Ephesian church. He wants them to get this revelation from God. It's by grace, through faith, just like our salvation. But Paul is praying that they will get that. When he says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. So we're to count as true what we know God has said and done. And we do that by faith, just like we were saved. So reckoning is the first of two things that Paul commands us to do based on what we know. Because we know that we were placed in Christ, that when Christ rose from the dead, sin had no power over him, it has no power over us, we know that. We're to reckon that to be true for ourselves. And then the second thing he commands us to do is explained in verses 12 through 23. Yield not to sin, but yield to God. Based on our knowing and reckoning, this is what we're supposed to do. Let's read verses 12 through 23 again. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin, because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid! Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. I'm going to stop there. So, we're not to yield to sin, but instead to yield to God. Verse 12 is another time that Paul uses this emphatic no. And really, I think it's even more emphatic. I'm not a Greek scholar, but if, if you read it word for word from the original, it sounds a little like Yoda. What it says is, rain not sin rain. 
And that not is that emphatic, no way, absolutely not. Rain not sin rain. Paul's emphasizing the fact that that is not what we should do. Because of what we know God has done, and by counting what he has done to be true for us by faith, we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to act on that truth and choose to yield to God rather than to sin. And notice that we're not merely told to resist sin. That's not an option here. We're either going to yield to sin or yield to God. Yield to sin or yield to God. That's our choices. There is no middle ground where we think, well, I'm going to do this on my own or I'm going to do, you know, whatever. I'm being my own person here. I'm going to uh, choose whatever path I want to choose. That's the pride and selfishness that's our old man. That's yielding to sin. We either have to yield to sin or yield to God. We're commanded not to continue to indulge in sin and allow it to rule our body and obey its lusts, not to yield our bodies as tools of sin, but instead to yield to God as those who are alive from the dead and our bodies as tools for righteousness to God. And this is a, a two-step process. In Ephesians, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. It talks about putting off and putting on. In Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 17, it says, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. And that walking is the choices and behaviors of unsaved people. having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That's something we know. And that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So we're either yielding to God or yielding to sin. And there's something we need to put off and there's something we need to put on. So what does yielding consist of? If we look in Romans chapter 6 again, and verse 16, it says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves, and ESV I think says present yourselves, same idea, whom ye yield yourselves, servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. The word servants there is bond slave. It's a slave. It's saying that whoever we yield ourselves to, we are a slave to that. And it's personifying sin. Sin is not a person, but that's the way Paul is addressing it here. So we become a slave to sin if we yield to sin. We become a slave to God if we yield to God. And that's God's intention for us. 
is to be a slave to God. And that's the way we find freedom in our lives, is to be a slave to God. We won't get into that right now. So what's it look like to yield to God? There are several, several different word pictures in Scripture to explain how we yield to God. We talked about Ephesians 4 already, putting off and putting on. Let's look at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. This is a, a familiar passage. I hope to most. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. So therefore, he's talking about everything that he said in the book of Romans, in the letter to the Romans, leading up to chapter 12. He says, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, there's that knowledge again, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So the picture here is that of a sacrifice. In the Old Testament, the Jews were told to sacrifice animals to God. The animals would die. Here it says, we should be a living sacrifice. We're still to be offered to God, but as a life for God to use, a living sacrifice. Another verse, uh, if we look at Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 14, there's another picture here, and that is, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify or put to death the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. So our choice is here and our picture here is that... If we live after the flesh, we'll die. So the wages of sin is death. But if you put to death the deeds of the body, then you'll live. And the only way that we can do that, it says, is by the Spirit of God. Just like we saw in our passage in Romans 6. It's because of what God has done, this blessing that we have in heavenly places, that we're able to do this. So we've got the picture of a sacrifice. We've got the picture of an execution. Let's look at Luke chapter 9 and verse 23. Jesus is talking here to his disciples. He's teaching, probably teaching the crowds. In Luke 9, 23, And he said unto them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross daily and follow me. So Jesus calls his followers to take up their cross and follow him. Take up their cross daily and follow him. So what does this mean? 
In Galatians 2.20, Paul describes himself. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So what is Jesus telling us to do when he says to take up our cross and follow him daily? I think he's saying the same thing as yielding to God rather than yielding to sin. Crucifixion is something that you can't do to yourself. It has to be done to you. Jesus doesn't say to crucify yourself. He says take up your cross. God is the one that's going to do the crucifying. As we yield to him, whether it's that you know, sharp tongue or that lust or that covetousness, our responsibility is to lay that down on the cross. And let God do the crucifying. We're to yield to God. So what's the result of this? Of yielding to God rather than yielding to sin? Verse 22 of Romans chapter 6, if you want to go back there. Talks about fruit. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, that slaves to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. God's purpose in all of this, this blessing that he gave us in the heavenly places, is so that we will bring forth fruit unto holiness. God wants to be glorified not just by saving us, by paying for our sins, but by transforming us into the image of Jesus. God wants to be glorified for that as well. And that's the fruit that he's talking about here. Let's look at Galatians chapter 5. We see here the contrast in the fruit of the old man and the fruit of the new man. Galatians chapter 5 starting in verse 16. This I say then, walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. And there's Romans chapter 6 and Romans chapter 7 right there. If ye be led by the spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness lasciviousness, which is unbridled lust, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, which is strife, emulations, which is getting all steamed up about something, wrath or anger, strife, which is, really means electioneering, triangulating with people to get them on your side, Seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. If these are the things that characterize your life, you are not a Christian. That's what Paul's saying here. These things do not inherit the kingdom of God. If this is what you're like, if this is what characterizes your life. Now we all sin. 
But if this is what your life is like, you are not a Christian. But he says in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another and envying one another. Jesus said in John 15 in his parable of the, the vine and the branches that I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. So what's the conclusion to this? We've seen that one of our spiritual blessings is that we are dead to sin and alive to God. This is something that God has given us in the spiritual realm. And it's true because God has included us in Jesus, not only for our salvation, but in his crucifixion, his death, and his resurrection. We've seen a call to action. According to God's word, there is no way that we as Christians should continue to indulge in sin. Absolutely no way. Reign not sin reign. In order to stop sinning, there's something we need to know, and based on that knowledge, something we need to do. We need to know that God has broken the ability of our sinful nature to control us. It no longer works. We're still tempted to sin, we still do sin, but our old nature no longer controls us and causes us to sin. Because God has placed us in Christ and we are dead to sin, that penalty is paid. So how do we apply this knowledge? We reckon. We count it to be true for us by faith through the grace of God applied to our heart. Just like when we were saved. We accept what God has told us by faith. And based on this divine revelation, what are we called to do? We're called to yield not to sin, but to yield to God. To become a slave of God rather than a slave of sin. We need to know, we need to reckon, and we need to yield. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this truth from your word. Lord, we can't begin to really comprehend it, but we know that by faith, you can show it to us, just as you showed us our sinfulness and your salvation. We pray, Lord, that as we consider these things, that we will learn not to yield to sin because the power of sin has been broken in our life according to what you have told us. We pray that we will yield to you and eagerly be your servants, your slaves, to do your bidding. We thank you for that opportunity, for the chance you've given us to know you now and throughout eternity. In Jesus' name, amen.